morning. <clears throat> I find stories of people who are able to uh, reach out to those who hate them or persecute them and mistreat them. I find those stories amazing and convicting. <clears throat> One of those stories is mentioned in chapter 4 of the book we're working through, Love Over Fear, and that is the story of Daryl Davis. Daryl is an African-American man, a blues musician, and an activist. Uh, he sort of stumbled into that activist part by accident. He was performing at a white bar many years ago, and uh, after he'd finished performing, a patron came up to him and said, I have never heard a black man play the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis, like you do. And Davis said, well, actually, I know Jerry Lee Lewis. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know Jerry Lee Lewis, and he is a friend of mine. And uh, he learned to play that way uh, from black blues piano players. The man didn't initially believe him, but over a drink that they shared together, the man eventually admitted to him that actually he was a member of the KKK. <clears throat> and the two of them became friends. They became friends. A few years later, Daryl Davis decided to, uh, to, uh, have a, uh, to, to engage in a little project to have a question answered that he had. So he took a list of contacts that this man had given him. My throat is not going to cooperate. We all feel better now, don't we? He went and pursued contacts in the KKK and asked him a fundamental question. The fundamental question was this. Why do you hate me when you know nothing about me? Why do you hate me when you know nothing about me? <clears throat> he began with the imperial wizard of the KKK in Maryland, Roger Kelly. Davis set up an appointment with Roger Kelly, concealing the fact that he was black. The two of them met in a hotel, uh, and it was a very tense meeting because Roger Kelly showed up with an armed bodyguard. But they talked, and eventually they became friends, and Roger Kelly left the Klan and gave Daryl Davis his Klan robe and invited then Davis to become his daughter's godfather. And that was just the beginning. Eventually, Davis wrote a book about his journey, and in 2016, a documentary was made entitled Accidental Courtesy. I have linked that film and where you can watch it on Amazon Prime in your Bible app, uh, live event. Uh, you can find it there. I hope you'll take time to watch it. It's an amazing story. Speaking of the Bible app, we do mention it pretty much almost every week in some context, but I am aware that sometimes it's new to some folks. So that's what it looks like. You can go and get it and, and download it wherever you get uh, your apps. There are a couple signs in the lobby with QR codes to help you do that as well. Uh, and then uh, when you get it and download it, to take part in our uh, live event, you click on the More tab, then you click on Events. And if your location services are, are on... Uh, ECC's uh, live event should pop to the very top if you're here in the room, if you're watching us online, you're joining us online, it might be a little further down the list, but it should be there. Once, uh, once uh, you're in there, you're going to find announcements, you're going to find ways to get better connected at ECC, and some extra questions and content for further learning and discussion. There's actually quite a bit in there for this week's lesson, including that link I said to the film about Daryl Davis. Now, I don't know if Daryl Davis knows Jesus, I don't know. I don't think it ever actually comes up in the film. Either way, it is clear to me that he is a walking example of what it can look like for us to learn to love our enemies. The beginning of this week's chapter in Love Over Fear, there's a quotation from 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian uh, Soren uh, Kierkegaard. It reads, quote, 
Men think that it is impossible for a human being to love his enemies, for enemies are hardly able to endure the sight of one another. Well then, shut your eyes, and your enemy looks just like your neighbor. I actually originally thought that was a really clever quote, and Soren Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard, the bits I've read of him, I haven't read anything lengthy by him. He's very witty, very clever, very creative and provocative. But the truth is, I don't like it as much as I initially did. Shutting our eyes so that our friends and our enemies look the same is not honest enough. Uh, First of all, shutting our eyes isn't even remotely helpful or practical. It doesn't actually change a thing. Second, and most important, that's not what God did. That's not what God did. God did not shut his eyes when he gave us his one and only son. God loved us and loves us still with eyes wide open. God knows exactly who we are, exactly what we've done or not done. He knows all our sins and unworthiness before we confess it, and yet God loves us still with his eyes wide open. And as Jesus will tell us in this morning's passage, God is our model and our motivation for loving our enemies as he loves his enemies. So once again, the good news that we are celebrating throughout this whole fall series is this. While we were God's enemies, God loved us and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. While we were God's enemies, God loved us and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. In context, our passage this morning from Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is one of the most challenging teachings so far, if not the most challenging. In my experience, when you and I talk about enemies, we may speak in general terms rather than specific terms, but to those who first heard these words uttered by Jesus, there was nothing general about these words. The enemies were the Romans. The enemies were the Roman government, the Roman soldiers who were sent to their land to occupy their land and to ensure that the emperor's rule was respected. Israel's enemies were just as specific to uh, Jesus' first listeners as the KKK members were for Daryl Davis. And all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, you may have noticed if you've read it before, up to this point, Jesus will say something like, you have heard it said thus and such, but I say to you, and then he tells us something else. Most of these statements made by Jesus go all the way back, and you can find them in the first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the the law, the Jewish law. Jesus quotes that, and then he reinterprets it. And to be sure, that is is what uh, happens with this one that we have uh, in this morning's passage from Matthew chapter 5 as well. At least part of it. In verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the first part of that statement is, in fact, in the Old Testament. It comes specifically from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. There, more fully, God says through Moses, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's very clear that the ones you are not to seek revenge against are people who are among your own people your neighbors, your fellow Jews. However, Jesus uh, clearly makes sure that everyone knows that neighbors no longer simply means your own people or people like you, in their case, fellow Jews. Now the term neighbor means anyone, any other human being. Most notably, Jesus expands the term neighbor to include our enemies, and he does that in the the, the, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And if you have signed up, For our daily scripture emails, you would have gotten that as one of the passages to read this past week. 
Nowhere in, in, in this passage from Leviticus or anywhere else in the Old Testament are we told to hate our enemies. Nowhere. However, it is true that some of Jesus' contemporaries had gone that far and said, well, we can love our neighbors, but we're free to hate our enemies. It was kind of the loophole they were looking for. And if you and I are looking for loopholes, we're not in step with the Spirit. It's true that there are places in the Old Testament where although God never instructs people to hate their enemies, people sometimes did and, and do hate their enemies. And those thoughts and prayers and words and actions of long ago, made some of them made their way into our Bibles. But those statements, those statements are not prescribing how we are to live. They're describing what someone was feeling at the time. Those statements are not prescriptive, they're descriptive about what someone thought, felt, did, or said. So, for example, Psalm 139, David prays, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And we might say, David, you just need to tell us how you really feel. Yes, David felt hatred for his enemies, but that hatred was not commanded by God. David's words describe how he felt, but they are not instructions on how to hate And yet, some at least had decided in Jesus' day that it was okay to love your own people and yet to hate your enemies. In most contexts, foreigners. Jesus' point was that we can no longer do this. Jesus changes things. Verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus commands his followers to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them. Who are those people? Again, in context, these are the Romans. In particular, the Roman soldiers. And these soldiers were definitely persecuting Jewish people in that day under their control. So those hearing Jesus knew exactly who it was Jesus was commanding them to love. E. Stanley Jones, an early 20th century Methodist missionary, said of Jesus' idea of loving enemies, quote, try this method of love on a tiger and see what would happen. He would know about tigers because he served in India. But this idea made me think of a few other things just to lighten things up a little bit. Uh, there are a few people I'm following on social media or I've uh, come across in the news in the last few days. This, there's a video of this guy, if you've seen it, uh, uh, an, an Australian man doing some cleanup work somewhere, and this crocodile, 13 feet long, just keeps nosing along, and he shoes it away like a dog. No, get out of here, go away. Touches it on the nose. Not me. And then there's this guy. Uh, my daughter introduced him, me to him. That's Dean Schneider. He has a fondness for lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, There's a great one on there where he's giving a a lion a belly rub. Again, not something I would try. But my favorite image is of someone I only recently discovered. Her passion is protecting sharks, and her name is, get this, Ocean Ramsey. There are videos of her touching sharks. This is not a fake shot. It's it's fascinating to watch this. She cares for sharks. She tries to uh, work toward preservation of sharks, and she scares me to death when she does this. To this date, she has not yet been attacked by a shark. They're amazing stories, amazing people, but in general, the best way to show love to wild animals is to care for their preservation and give them all the room they need to avoid you. Kids, don't try this at home. But do try to learn to love your enemies, which can feel that scary sometimes. 
we find out at least two things about love in Jesus' words in verses 44 and 45. First, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us makes us children of the Father God. To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us makes us children of the Father God. That is, when we are able to truly love our enemies, we are like God. At least in these things. We bear the family resemblance. We mirror forth God's love and God's image to the world as God intended way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Second, God's love for his enemies is our model. God's love for his enemies is our model. How does God love his enemies? In this passage, first of all, through the gifts of creation. Through the gifts of creation. He causes his sun to rise on both the good and the evil. He causes his rain to water the crops of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Regardless, even if the evil people stay evil and unrighteous people stay unrighteous, it doesn't matter. God pours out these gifts upon us all. Put another way, our love for our enemies is grounded and finds its energy in God's universal love for us and for all of humanity. Our love for our enemies is grounded and finds its energy in God's love for us and for all of humanity. 1 John 4.19 says that we are able to truly love one another because God first loved us. Now, we may not like to admit that we have enemies, doesn't seem like the Christian thing to say. But scholar Scott McKnight, in his book-length treatment of the Sermon on the Mount, reminds us that we do have enemies. I'm going to quote him at length here. He says, we've all got enemies. I want to suggest America's enemy is the Muslim countries, and Christians have joined in. Evangelicalism's enemy is mainline Protestant liberals and Roman Catholics, and to a lesser degree, uh, degree Eastern Orthodox. The enemy of the white person is the black person, and the enemy of the black person is the brown person. The enemy of the Christian Republican is the Democrat. The enemy of the Christian Democrat is the Republican. The enemy of the morally conservative Christian is the gay person. And I'm not even beginning to touch on particular enemies. The people you see daily, bump into on the street corners in your community, see as you drive through your neighborhood. But those are enemies too. Those folks may be your real enemies, those who get your blood boiling and who get your emotions a kilter. And those Yes, those whom Jesus calls you to respond to in a radical new society called kingdom. The ethic from beyond calls you beyond your comfort zone. Life in the kingdom of God calls us to an ethic from beyond, which will call us out of our comfort zone. After giving this command to love our enemies and the model by which we do so, Jesus then offers a bit more motivation. He interrogates us and pushes back against the old idea that only, the only people we have to care for and love are people who are our people, family, friends, and so forth. If we live by that rule, Jesus says, then we are living no differently than all those who stand against us, tax collectors and pagans. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own, only your own people, <clears throat> what are you doing more than others? Don't, do not even pagans do that? In the story that I told you earlier, love of enemy worked. It worked, at least in some cases. That is, something good came out of it. Relationships were formed. Enemies became friends. By his own estimate, Daryl Davis has been directly responsible for between 40 and 60 people leaving the KKK. Indirectly, he says, another 200. He has 25 
Klan robes in his closet that have been donated to him by Klan members who have left the Klan. Now, I imagine there were others for whom this tactic of love of enemy didn't work. They may still be his enemy. But Jesus never tells us that loving our enemies will work. This is not pragmatic instruction. The only reasons we are given for loving our enemies is to imitate God and to obey Jesus. The only reason, the only reasons we are given for loving our enemies is to imitate God and to obey Jesus. To those who say, yes, but does it work to love your enemies? Will it change them? The answer is, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. It doesn't matter. Do it anyway. Our motivation is to be imitators of God, to become Christiformed people, people in whom Christ is formed, on the journey towards spiritual maturity in Christ. Our goal is to better bear God's image and God's love and to mirror these things forth in the world and to serve others as God in Christ has loved and served us. Be they clansmen, difficult co-workers, or presidential candidates. And then there's this troubling little verse, often taken out of context, right at the end of our passage. Verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's just rude, right? Nobody's perfect. Why would God say that? How could God ask such a thing of us? But we need to dive into that word perfect. What did the original word in Matthew 5, 48 mean? It's the Greek word teleos. Teleos, which means full or complete or mature. It's something that is brought to its purpose or to its goal. It may well be the impetus for that remark that I've quoted a few times now from the late Dallas Willard when he said that the litmus test for true Christian spirituality is whether or not we are able to spontaneously love our enemies. To be complete or mature as God is complete and mature is to love our enemies as God has loved his enemies. And what did God do to his enemies? How did God love his enemies? How did God conquer his enemies? He died for them. He died for them. He sent his one and only son into the world to teach us a new way to live, to die for our sins, and to grant us the power to go out and live our lives in a kingdom reality. And that includes love of enemy. To imitate God is to love, to pray for, and to serve our neighbors, even our enemies, maybe even to lay down our lives for others. And in this, in this we are made perfect, complete, mature, in love. Again, Scott McKnight offers an expanded paraphrase of the passage. He says, quote, Be perfect, that is, love both your fellow Jewish neighbors and the Roman enemies in your midst, as your Father makes the sun rise and the rain to fall on all humans, Jews and Romans, so you are to be perfect in love as your Father is perfect in love. Chapter 4, in Love Over Fear, is entitled Affection for Monsters. And in that chapter the author relabels possible responses to danger, where they have traditionally been stated as a fight-or-flight response. He relabels them as attack or avoid. Attack or avoid. Raise your hands if your natural inclination is when you're dealing with conflict or danger is to attack others. Let's just be honest about it. Raise your hands if you are more prone to attack someone. And if you're online... Write the word attack in the comments section. 
Okay, then raise your hands if avoiding is more likely what you do when you're, wow, that's me as well. Again, online, if you're there with us, write avoid as your primary tactic in these things. Attack or avoid, but we're narrow-minded to think that these are the only two options, so Jesus offers us a third way. Attack, avoid, affection. Affection. Again, he reminds us we must model our response toward our enemies after God's response toward his enemies. He writes, Rather than attacking us with judgment or avoiding us through abandonment, God moves toward us with affection. God likes us, loves us, even when we don't love him or like him. We are polarized against God, but Christ builds a bridge of kindness with his own body. We are polarized against God, but Christ builds a bridge of kindness with his own body. Dan White goes on to say that in doing this, in laying down his life, his body for us, Jesus is not asking us to do anything he wouldn't or hasn't already done. And once again, God in Christ is our example, our motivation, and our model. We too can become bridges of kindness even to our enemies. We too can become bridges of kindness even to our enemies. Several years ago, I was introduced to the historical figure of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, a German nobleman who lived in the early 1700s. And von Zinzendorf founded a religious order known as the Order of the Mustard Seed. And at one time, the membership of that order consisted of some very powerful, high-profile public figures in government and so forth. All of them who pledged to be a part of this Order of the Mustard Seed pledged to keep three vows, to be true to Christ, to be kind to all people, to take the gospel to the nations. To be true to Christ, to be kind to all people, and to take the gospel to the nations. The first part is all about commitment to be true to Christ in terms of personal holiness and in working with integrity when facing opposition in the world. The last one, to take the gospel to the nations, is about evangelism and discipleship and the sending of missionaries. The middle one, to be kind to all people, was all about, in their context, helping the poor and learning to love their enemies. What I've noticed about these three vows is how nicely they tie into our ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. To be true to Christ is about our transformation. To be kind to all people is about welcome and presence. And to take the gospel to the nations is about presence. Our presence in that 97% of our waking hours spent outside of church environments and our presence in sending others out as missionaries. So as we close this morning, I'm going to finish by borrowing a, a brief passage again from Love Over Fear and by inviting you to take an additional step to that practice I asked you to engage in last week. Dan White writes, We are invited into a deepening sense of awe for the wonder of humans even those who feel like monsters. Who are the monsters in your life? Who is the neighbor you're avoiding? Will you respond to Jesus' invitation to love your enemies? Will you take the path beyond attacking or avoiding into affection? Last week, I invited you to name an enemy who is also a sister or brother in Christ, to name them and to pray for them, on a daily basis, maybe even all the way to the end of the year. Hopefully, you did that. Let's add to that practice a question to pray through. 
How might we show practical love to the enemy that we have been praying for? What can we do? What step can we take? How can we become a bridge of kindness to that person? How might we show practical love to the person, to the enemy we've been praying for? What can we do? What step can we take? How can we become a bridge of kindness to that person? Would you join with me as we close in prayer?